Comic Book Tales is an immersive comic book experience for the new or lapsed comic book fan. I take a closer look at the comics that shaped my childhood and influenced my adulthood. Comic books are an amazing entry into another world and even provide the pictures to complete the fantasy. Join me for a new Comic Book Tales adventure. Hello and welcome to Chapter 3 of the Marvel Story, the Marvel Age Story. Uh, in previous episodes, I talked about the Golden Age. I talked about uh, what goes into making, in a general format, making a comic book. And today I want to take you back to the beginning, the beginning of the Marvel Age. So we've talked about the beginning of comic books. I want to specifically take you back to the beginning of the Marvel Age. So I want you to think in your own life about a first. First day of school. First kiss. First time you tried chocolate. First time you've had a pizza. The first, and, and what was that experience like? What was it? What was unique about it that subsequent uh, exposure didn't change? I mean, if you your first day of kindergarten, I believe, is vastly different than the uh, you know the hundred and fiftieth day of eighth grade. Um, so it it's it's different. It's new. It's exciting. It's a little scary, but it's overall exciting. I think for most people, first can be. There's only one first. There's only one first time that you get to experience something. And after that, it's just a second and a third and a fourth, if if at all. So think back to that time. Um, and I'm not trying to compare comic books to your first kiss, your first love, or the first day of school. But it's a first, and I think that's something to, to focus on. So the thing is, for Marvel, at this time, still not known as Marvel. They'd been Timely. They'd been Atlas. They'd been around since the 1930s. They'd changed names multiple times, but they were still the little guy competing with DC. And if if that stress hasn't come out in the previous two episodes, I want to stress it again. DC Comics was the behemoth to Marvel and every other publisher's lifestyle. Fawcett Comics had probably come closest to being a number two in the 1940s with their Captain Marvel or Shazam title. But eventually, by the 1950s, they had stopped publishing and been sold off all their assets to DC as part of the settlement. So there was no real number two to to uh, DC in the 1960s. There was DC and whatever else was left. So Timely, at the time, or Marvel as it became, really wasn't um, wasn't a big player in the market. So think about that. Everybody was trying to capture lightning in a bottle, so to speak, but they weren't necessarily able to do that. It was just something they said because, oh, wait till next month. We're really going to you know, knock them dead. Most publishers didn't do that. They tried. I mean, you got you to admire their effort. They tried, but they weren't able to do it in most cases. They just kind of put out their thing and boom, that was it. Uh, it wasn't a realistic expectation, expectation that they would even accomplish it, but they, you know, positive thinking, I, I can do this, I can do this. So in that whole thing, Marvel wasn't also ran in the entire comic industry. They were there by the grace of whatever, and they were they were just basically hanging on from month to month. Um, so I want you to think back to um, when you were 10 years old and what life was like as a 10-year-old, regardless of where you grew up, where, where you were born, where you lived. As a 10-year-old, life was simple. Uh, especially the summers. The summers were about play, probably playing outside with your friends. Um, if you're of a certain age, it was playing outside with your friends and playing until dark and getting home to have dinner or uh, see your parents take take a bath and go to bed uh, and do it all over again. 
that was summer as a 10-year-old for most people in the United States, um, even whether it's an urban environment, a suburban environment, or a rural environment. Uh, you might have more work to do based on where you lived and what your parents did, but um, there was there was free time. Uh, by the 1960s, there was free time. And specifically, we're talking about the summer of 1962. August 1962 uh, was a magical time in the world of the Marvel Universe, and, and here's the reason why. In, Mar- in August 1962, a title called Amazing Fantasy um, was about to publish its last issue, Amazing Fantasy number 15. And Amazing Fantasy had been 15 issues and changed their name for the third time, finally, to Amazing Fantasy. So it changed t- titles three times in a span of 15 months. That's a lot, and it's hard to build any brand loyalty when you constantly change your name. Nobody can remember that you were something else three months ago. So it was hard in this era to do that. And when this story was published, it wasn't it wasn't thought it was anything more than a hey, we're going to try something because it's different and the titles get canceled anyway. Remember I said that DC owned distribution rights? Well, at that time, DC owned distribution rights, which meant you can only, DC or Marvel can only publish certain number of books per month. And if they were, weren't selling as well, they canceled them, regardless of what was in them. Uh, today, they might let something go on a little longer. At that time, they couldn't. They said, we have this number of books we can publish, and if you're not making the grade, making the cut, we cancel you and move on to something else. So it was to this thing, this book that Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, and uh, Jack Kirby lent their talents. Um, the publisher, Martin Goodman, really didn't want to put another loser superhero out there because, let's be honest, you weren't DC. If you had money, you were going to spend it on a character you knew, probably because you knew the character and you were invested in that character, such as Superman or Batman. You weren't going to invest any time and or money into a character that you probably didn't think was going to be around. And that had been the history of comic books. If you weren't DC, your character probably didn't last very long. You didn't get a lot of play with it. So why would you invest a whole lot of your hard-earned paper money um, to do this? So back then, comic books cost about 12 cents each. You might see somebody still trying to do it for a dime, but it's about 12 cents each. So for the equivalent of 50 cents, you could buy two books at the corner grocer and maybe have some ice cream and a soda um, to while away an afternoon with your friends. So August 1962, you're with three of your buddies, and you go down to the corner uh, grocer because at this time in, in New York City, that's what you did. There was no supermarkets. There was corner grocers, and they stocked the essentials, and you know that's, that's how you shopped daily because you didn't place a store big bulk items anyway. So you go in there, the the staff and the ownership let you hang out because they knew you'd buy some stuff and spend a little bit of money. And on a hot summer day, it wasn't a lot of traffic anyway. So why not let you guys hang out for a little bit as long as you didn't get too rowdy. And they knew you'd always have to pick up something for your mom for dinner. Um, you know, or you would do some of the grocery shopping because you were there. Mom would say, hey, pick up some milk or pick up some bread or pick up some butter, whatever. And they'd, they'd make a little bit of money off you. So they, they didn't discourage you from coming in because they needed the, the revenue. So you get your two comic books, you get your ice cream and a soda, and you go in the back and you sit there with your buddies. And at this time, you would basically, you read your two comic books and then pass it around. So for basically for the price of 24 cents or a quarter or less, you got to read eight comic books. Now, you weren't collecting comic books. Understand that. This was not a collector's market. This was not, oh, I've got to put these in bags and boards and I've got to maintain them till I'm in my 60s so I can sell them for money. This was, I read them, 
my buddy reads them, we dispose of them, or we put them in our clubhouse as we need something just to pan through. These are not collector's items, or not considered collector's items. They were cheap newsprint. Uh, the covers were interesting to a point, but nobody's going to mistake this for high literature and certainly not for something of value later on. $0.12. Cents. <laughs> That's what these books cost at that time, $0.12. Cents. So into that era you are you enter and you get as, you want to get as much bang for your buck you don't have a lot of money so you get anthology stories um maybe you like the western gunslingers because you can imagine yourself you know defending the village or defending the the damsel in distress uh your buddy likes sci-fi so you get a little sci-fi mix and you get a little horror mix um you got some superhero stuff with superman or batman or whatever the odd uh one you said oh, i'm going to try this this time it's it's still here i'm going to try it uh, enter, enter Amazing Fantasy number 15. So you look at the cover, and again, comic books were marketed to children still at this time because, honestly, that's who would spend money on them because they, they had a big overflow from World War II, but that had kind of flopped, gone down because the World War II people had gotten older and had lives and other things they had to be responsible for. So, yes, comic books were a big deal to the, the GIs at that time, but it kind of... It's now kitty. It's kitty stuff. So the bright colors are there. The simple stories are there because they're geared towards children. Children are not looking for highbrow uh, literature. They're not looking for, you know, real world colors. They want flashy. They want something that catches their eye. Uh, and, and there's a guy swinging across the screen on a spider web. And he's in red and blue. And he's got a bad man under his arms. And it's called Amazing Fantasy Number 15. But it's an anthology. So you like anthologies, you pick it up. You read the story, your buddies read the story, and think, eh, okay, that's, that, that's kind of cool. Uh, you, you can relate to this character, and here's why. Because he's kind of like you. He's a kid who has power. He's not Superman. He's not got all the gadgets of Batman. He's not, he's insecure. He's, he's uh, unsure of himself in the world. He doesn't really know what's going on. And he mirrors a lot of about, a lot of what you feel, maybe you haven't expressed it, but kind of what you feel, and you go, I can kind of, I can get behind this guy. His name's Spider-Man, with a hyphen, and I get him, and I, I can, I could see me maybe reading another story about this guy, because, you know, he's kind of could. He, he, he stops crying, but, you know, he's got problems just like everybody else. And right there is the thing, okay? The other comic books that you see on the shelf there's exception of Superboy or maybe Robin with Batman. There aren't really, there's no, a, there's no child who's a, a lead character. Okay. There, or, or the child is Superboy who's invulnerable to everything. And, you know, the way DC published comics, it was this, this f future world where things didn't, you know, there was not a minutia of life for these characters. Yes, they had things, but it wasn't the minutia that you you experience. Along comes a character like Spider-Man, and he's got money problems. You don't hear about Bruce Wayne having money problems. You don't even hear about Superman having money problems. He's a reporter. You hear about Spider-Man having money problems. Okay? You hear about those types of issues. You hear about infighting with the Fantastic Four, which was published in November of 1961. Uh, you, you hear about things like that, and they start to go, Okay, these are heroes who have problems. 
I have problems. Maybe I could be a hero. Now, the biggest thing growing up, and this, this is universal to boys of a certain age. If you grew up in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, even into the 1980s, as a boy, and you read Spider-Man, you were always expecting that I might get bitten by a radioactive spider and I might get superpowers. It's always in the back. You, you don't think it could happen. You're pretty sure it couldn't happen, but just on the off chance that it might, you think, hmm, I wonder if I could get superpowers if a spider bit me or something else bit me or something else, you know, I got bombarded by rays. You think about that stuff because you fantasize about it. Nobody thought about being an alien from Krypton because you couldn't, you had to be born that way. The Marvel Universe changed that because you could be created that way. So it's a subtle change, but it invested people in the comic book. Okay? Think about that. If you were that age, you would say, ooh, that's kind of cool. He was a normal boy, and now he's special. I'm a normal boy now. I could be special. I could be a good candidate for that. So that all goes through your head real quickly as you're reading this story. And unfortunately, it takes seven months before Amazing Spider-Man gets published. And, you know, there was a tongue-in-cheek in, cheek in the, the end of the story saying, Spider-Man will return in Amazing, as in Amazing Spider-Man. But it took seven months for that to happen. So you'd moved on to other things. So when we look back and say, this is the start of the Marvel Age, or maybe the Marvel Age started with Fantastic Four number one, or Patsy Walker number 95, or Journey into Mystery number 68. Maybe it did, but the Marvel Universe really didn't get going until Spider-Man in Amazing Fantasy number 15 came out. That's the, that's in hindsight, that's where it started. Because Fantastic Four was okay, and they touted themselves as the world's finest comic book, but that was a moniker that wasn't a reality. That was a book geared towards an older audience than Spider-Man was. It was geared towards um, the family dynamic, and there was a lot of infighting there, so that was unique in the comic book world. But when Amazing Fantasy came out, that changed things, and that made the world eventually take up and say, whoa, what is this? Now, that would be followed by many other books, and that's for another episode, but this is the, the starting point, and I think it's important for everybody to understand that. This is when the world changed, even though the world didn't know it had changed, at least from an entertainment standpoint. So as we go on, think back to that first. Think back to the first time you remember reading about Spider-Man. Think back to the first time you thought, hmm, I could be Spider-Man. I'm of a certain age. I could get into this, and I could be Spider-Man. I just need a radioactive spider to bite me. And then, boom, I'm Spider-Man. Or I'm a no number of other characters as things go on. Uh, it was an age of science. So you'll, you'll start to see that in the Marvel creation story. The characters are created through science. It's not random haphazard acts. It's science. And there's a, there's a theme here. We're going to get through this. But it's a theme here that you'll start to, to gather um, but it definitely changes the world. It changes how people view comic books. And I think you're going to be fascinated by how much influence these comic books had on the world we know it today.
So next time, join me, and we'll talk further about the start of the Marvel Age and the firsts that came about because of it. Thank you. I'm Chad. I'll talk to you next time. This has been a Hannah Tree production.